Chapter Four of Dorothy Dixon and the Mystery Plane by Dorothy Wayne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Thunderhead. Dorothy telephoned the Walters next morning to learn from a maid that Terry was still missing and that Mr. Walters was down in the village, putting the matter in the hands of the police. "'May I speak to Mrs. Walters?' she asked. "'I'm afraid not, miss. Mrs. Walters has been up all night. Dr. Brown has given her a sleeping powder and issued orders that she is not to be disturbed. "'If there is anything I can do,' said Dorothy, telephone me thank you miss i'll tell mr walters when he comes home dorothy rang off and went about her household duties with a heavy heart later on she motored to the village to do her marketing and upon her return found that her father had telephoned she immediately called up the new canaan bank of which he was president. "'Any news, Daddy?' she inquired anxiously as soon as she was put through to him. "'That you, Dorothy?' she heard him say. "'Yes, Terry's car has been found. "'Where, Daddy?' "'On a wood road in the hills back of the Norwalk Reservoir. "'The car was empty.' A farmer driving through there found it early this morning and phoned the license number to the police. What in the world could Terry have been doing way over there? I know that road. It's no more than a bridle path. The reservoir is three or four miles beyond Silvermine. My opinion is that Terry was never anywhere near that place explained her father he was undoubtedly held up removed to another car and his own run over to the spot where it was found no sign of him i suppose no i've talked with walters the poor man is nearly off his head with worry we're getting up searching parties to cooperate with the police I'll see you at dinner tonight. It will be impossible for me to get home at noon. I'll hope to have some news for you then, said Dorothy. Going up in spite of the rain? I've got to. We can't afford to waste time. The weather's not so bad. There's storm warnings out all along the coast. I'll be careful, Daddy. All right. Bye-bye till dinner-time. Bye. She hung up the receiver, and for the rest of the morning busied herself about the house, determined not to let her mind dwell upon the darker side of this latest development. After lunch she changed into flying clothes and went out to the hangar. Unlocking the doors, she set to work filling the amphibian's gasoline tanks. Then she went over the engine carefully and gave it a short ground test. After that, 
the instruments came under her inspection altogether she gave her plane a thorough overhauling which was not entirely necessary but kept her from thinking and helped to kill time about twenty minutes to five she ran the amphibian out of the hangar and took off into the teeth of a fine rain it was no part of her plan to fly in the neighborhood of the beach club until the plane she was seeking should put in an appearance her self-imposed duty was to spot the mysterious amphibian and to follow it to its destination without allowing the pilot or an understudy to spot her so instead of banking and heading for tokeneki when her bus had sufficiently topped the trees she continued to keep the stick back so as to maintain a proper climbing angle back in her first thirty hours of early flight training it would have been difficult for her to keep will-o'-the-wist more often termed willy or wispy at the correct angle safely below the stalling point unless she could first recognize that angle by the position of the plane's nose relative to the horizon on a wet day like this with an obscure horizon it would have been well-nigh impossible at best a series of bad stalls would have been the result but now her snapping gray eyes sparkled with exhilaration she no longer needed the horizon as a guide between leveling off every thousand feet or so to keep the engine from overheating she shot will-o'-the-wisp up to six thousand maintaining the proper angle of climb by the feel of the plane alone with her altimeter indicating the height she wanted she leveled off again then executing a sharp reverse control or flipper turned to the left she resumed straight flight again by the application of upper aileron and opposite rudder the plane was now headed south several points to the west of the beach club the visibility was even poorer than at a lower level but the young pilot knew this part of the country as she knew her own front lawn either dropping or swerving her plane's nose at frequent intervals so as to get an unimpeded view ahead she passed over the wooded ridges toward the shore over the city of stamford and out over the slate-gray waters of long island sound that body of water is some six or eight miles wide at this point and upon reaching the opposite shore dorothy commenced a patrol of the long island shoreline from lloyd's neck which lies just west of oyster bay 
to the farther side of smithtown bay a distance of fifteen or sixteen miles and as she flew she kept a sharp lookout for planes appearing out of the murk toward the connecticut shore since she knew it was the bearded aviator's practice to fly at a comparatively low altitude dorothy chose to keep will-o'-the-wisp at this greater height for two reasons an airplane flying far above another plane is much more unlikely to be noticed by the pilot of the lower plane than one flying at his own level or below then again by keeping to the higher air dorothy under normal weather conditions was bound to increase her range of vision proportionally her plan was a good one but weather is not a respecter of plans the visibility poor enough when she started gradually grew worse and worse although what wind there was seemed to have died long curling tongues of mist crept out of the east while above her head she saw black thunderclouds sinking lower and lower now one of the first things any aviator learns is that fog must be avoided at all costs any attempt to land in it is attended by considerable danger dorothy knew all too well that in case of a fog bank cutting the plane off from its destination the flight must be discontinued by a landing or by return to the point of departure she glanced overside again long island sound was no longer visible he's late now unless i've missed him she said to herself i'll finish this leg of the patrol and if he doesn't show up by the time i'm over oyster bay willie and i will head for home pushing her stick slightly forward to decrease her altitude she continued along her course three minutes later she realized her mistake the wisps of fog seemed to gather together and will-o'-the-wisp sank into an opaque bank that blinded her gee but i'm stupid she mumbled what was it that textbook i read only yesterday said in the event of general formation of fog below an immediate landing must be made before it becomes thick enough to interfere seriously with the approach heavens what a fool i am now that we're in it though i might as well see if it thins out nearer the water her compass told her she was flying almost due west throttling down the engine she pushed her stick still farther forward at the same time applying right aileron and hard right rudder at the proper gliding angle she reached she neutralized her elevators and held the nose up as necessary next she checked her wing with the ailerons and eased her rudder pressure then having made a quarter spiral with a change in course of ninety degrees she applied left aileron and hard left rudder until the wings were level laterally 
and with her stick still held forward continued to descend in a straight glide until she was within fifteen hundred feet of the water the plane was heading directly back across long island sound toward the connecticut shore but each moment the fog seemed to grow more dense to land blindly meant a certain nose in and was out of the question and even if the mist did not hold to the water's level to fly lower meant the chance of striking the mast or the spar of a ship a lighthouse perhaps or anything else that came her way we're up against it wispy she murmured opening the throttle and pulling back her stick if we can't go down at least we can go above as they say in the navy beat it for the heavens my dear this beastly fog can't run all the way to mars dorothy was not frightened although she knew how serious was her predicament no pilot likes flying blind in a fog with the knowledge that what one sees one hits it is a nerve-wracking experience but dorothy's nerves were good none better and she sent her plane into a long steady climb hoping for the best and keeping her vivid imagination well within control headed into the north she continued her climb leveling off every few thousand feet to ease the strain on her engine when the altimeter marked thirteen thousand she began to worry for the surface ceiling of her plane was but two thousand higher the cold damp of the thick mist penetrated like a knife hemmed in by the dank gray wall she could barely distinguish the nose of her ship the active needles of the altimeter and rate of climb indicator were the only visible signs that the will-o'-the-wisp was moving at all fourteen thousand feet intense physical discomfort added to the nervous strain were becoming intolerable dorothy clenched her chattering teeth in an effort to retain her control then with a suddenness astonishing the fog parted and she sailed into clear air below her the heavy mist swirled and rolled like a sluggish sea gray-yellow streaked with dirty streamers while directly ahead loomed a towering mass of cotton-like clouds rising tier upon tier as far as she could see a quick glance over her shoulder and to the sides brought forth the fact that this small pocket of free air was entirely surrounded by similar cloud formations there was no time for thought automatically her hand clasping the stick shot forward bringing down the nose to the position of level flight and she drove the amphibian straight at the thunderhead 
Immediately afterward the plane passed into the cloud, and like a leaf caught in an inverted maelstrom, it was whipped out of her control. Gripped by tremendous air forces, the amphibian was shot up and sideways at a speed that burned Dorothy's lungs. Tossed about like a rag doll, with her safety belt almost cutting her body in two, she was thrown hither and yon with the plane blind and without the slightest idea as to her position. Never in her wildest nightmares had she dreamed that a heavy plane weighing close to four thousand pounds when empty could be tossed about in such fashion by currents of the air for a space of time that seemed years she was entirely away from the controls but gradually with infinite effort and in spite of the whirling jolts of her air-speed dorothy managed to hook her heels under the seat a second later she had caught the stick and was pushing it forward into the instrument board will-o'-the-wisp reared like an outlawed bronco then dived until the airspeed indicator showed one hundred and sixty-five miles per hour still her downward speed was less than the rate of the upward draft for the rate of climb indicator told the frenzied girl that the plane was being lifted fourteen hundred feet per minute still diving at forty-five degrees the phenomenal force of the updraft carried the plane to the mushroom top of the cloud where with the jar like an elevator hitting the ceiling it was flung forth into the outer air End of chapter 4